Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer and an entrepreneur. My mission, what I stand for is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher. One who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and effectively so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. This mission reflects the core ways of being that I work to develop in teachers. Confidence, clarity, purpose, impact, and connection. Through my mentorship program and my premier offer called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field and beyond, and a dose of personal development. For more information on my programs, please see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 80. I'm recording an intro right now. Uh, Today is June 10th, and I want to provide the date because there's a couple of things that my guest and I reference. And at some point, months from now, years from now, if people are listening, um, I think it'll be helpful to have the date. Uh, June 10th, 2020 is the date of this recording. And I'm doing a quick intro because I wanted to just give you a little bit of background around this episode, and then we'll transition into the episode itself, which is an interview I did with a chef and her name is Claire Matern. And you're probably wondering, why are you interviewing a chef on a podcast called Conversations for Yoga Teachers? And I wanted to give you a little bit of that background. I've been following Claire on Instagram for a number of years, and I consider myself like a foodie, someone who's really into not only cooking, even though I don't get to do it a lot, but I do love to cook. I love to go out to eat. I'm super into any kind of cooking show, cookbooks. Uh, I have friends that work in the restaurant industry, cooking, the restaurant business, you know, kind of foods from other cultures, gourmet foods, all of that is very much part of what I like. So I began following Claire on Instagram a number of years ago, and I've kind of followed her journey, at least from the point that I connected with her to now and really not only loved her photography, but how she kind of pivoted her business a little bit, um, actually more than a little bit. And we talk about that in this episode. And I also really liked her approach to cooking, which really had to do with tapping into your intuition. And the more I followed her posts and read her content, I found that there were a lot of similarities between Claire and I in terms of how we are as teachers and how we look at what we want to share. And in a way that really helps the people that we share this information with tap into their own sense of intuition. Um, In this episode, we definitely focus on uh, this talking about it from the perspective of 
empowerment and intuition. A lot of uh, times, and many of you as listeners will recall that when I talk about the training and the work that I do with yoga teachers, in a lot of ways, it's to help them tap into their authenticity. It's a way um, through understanding anatomy and really understanding the why behind the cues to help them tap into their own way of expressing what they know in understandable ways with their students. And that is empowering, right? Because anytime I talk to teachers and they say, I'm just repeating things I was told and I really don't get the anatomy underneath it, that leads to a big confidence gap. So whether you call it empowerment or lack of confidence or not tapping into your intuition or not feeling like you're authentic when you're sharing, uh, all those things kind of fall under uh, a very related umbrella. And so as I got to know more about Claire and as I got to know more about her approach, I really thought that she would make an interesting guest for the podcast. And now that I'm done with the recording we did today, I'm even more convinced that this is a perfect episode for, for you, my audience. Um, there are so many similarities that we um, found in our conversation together. And so I really, really hope you'll enjoy it. The other reason I hope you'll enjoy it is because I bet um, either you, like me, really like the whole cooking genre of, of content. Uh, and also maybe you're someone who's a little intimidated by cooking. You know, yes, this is a podcast for yoga teachers, but we're all eating and we're definitely all cooking right now with the pandemic and the restaurants being closed or just starting to reopen. So this will definitely have relevance for you, you know, even outside of what we talk about uh, when you're here and I have episodes about teaching. So we'll go into her, uh, her background and introduce her when we start the episode, when I start the episode here, just to let you know, her name uh, is Claire Matern, C-L-A-I-R, M-A-T-U-R-N. And you can find her on Instagram right with that uh, spelling of her name. And we'll go into how you can connect with her on social media in the episode, which I definitely, definitely encourage you to do uh, because she has just a wonderful way of presenting uh, food and nutrition, tapping into your intuition and not getting hung up on all these, you know, kind of food rules that are out there. And she has some really beautiful videos and um, photographs. So let's start that episode. And I'm really, really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this one. So don't forget to, um, to send me an email, post on social media, uh, or also you can um, comment on iTunes, leave a review on iTunes. The other thing I just want to mention before we go into the episode is that all this month in June, my brand new uh, monthly subscription is open, subscription service. It's called the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. And this is a one-stop shop, both live classes and recorded classes. It's a monthly subscription. It's $19.99 a month. And for that low price, you will get ongoing new content added to the portal. When you sign up, you'll be able to preview the content that's already there. There's a number of recorded classes that I have put in the portal of different lengths. There are some specialty things like how to use foam rollers. There's a short sequence on that. There's an athlete's corner. There are going to be some children's classes. There's a live class schedule. So it's really meant to be um, a very organized, platform where you can find 
all your yoga needs in terms of practice needs. If you're a teacher, and of course, most of you here listening to the podcast are, it's also a really good resource where you can get information about how to sequence your classes, how to sequence your classes with anatomy in mind, because many of the upcoming sequences I'll put in the portal will be specific to certain parts of the body or certain anatomical actions like open your hips or open your shoulders, things like that. So it's a really, really good tool for teachers to get as well. So uh, all you need to do to preview and subscribe is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com. And when you are on the homepage, you're gonna see the picture for the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. Now, if you do sign up this week that you're listening to this, which is gonna be the week of June 14th through the 20th, you will also get my latest ebook all about understanding the why behind the cues for free. So um, if you have any questions, just send me an email. Otherwise, please visit the website. I encourage you to take a look, see what is all involved. It's really a comprehensive resource for you and it will save you all sorts of time where you won't have to go onto YouTube and go down all these rabbit holes looking for a sequence on this or a sequence on that. It'll give you an opportunity to practice. It'll give you an opportunity to learn anatomy and it'll give you an opportunity to be inspired about different ideas around sequencing. So that's the end of the intro. Let's go into this episode, this interview with Claire Matern. All right. So hello, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 80 episode 80. So I mentioned in the intro that I have a really special guest on today. Um, and I'm so super excited to share this. You're, you're probably wondering maybe right out of the gate, how this is going to link up to yoga. I think, you know, when Claire and I talked a couple times, there are so many, um, just areas where things dovetail together that I really think that you all are going to enjoy this. So I want to welcome you, Claire, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Um, so I did a little reading beforehand and I was going to write out a bio and then I thought I really would love you to just kind of share your background. I, um, I mentioned in the intro or I, I will mention in the intro when I record it that I've been a follower of yours on Instagram for a while. I love cooking and when I, I don't even remember how I connected with you on Instagram, loved all your posts and the imagery and all of, you know, just Kind of how things began for you and the pictures of your dad's shop. So why don't you just share a little bit about your inspiration uh, for cooking and your background? Yeah, of course. So I grew up in the food industry. Um, I grew up in the what is deemed the specialty food industry of New York City and in Europe. I lived for three years as a kid in Switzerland. Oh, wow. um, and so it's been it's been an overarching theme in my life. I definitely wasn't that kid who was always in the kitchen. So it's so interesting for me now too, to see how I've developed this, this love for it. Um, and I think just being around it subconsciously, so much has influenced me. So I grew up in the food industry. My dad is a trained chef. 
Um, every vacation we ever went on was all about going to the local farmers markets and the local grocery stores and reading restaurant menus. And it's just been ingrained in my day-to-day -day life. Um, but I didn't have to start cooking for myself until I moved to London as a student when I was 18 and didn't know uh, that universities over there don't do cafeterias and meal plans. Oh. <laughs> so learned the hard way. Um, but now I realize too how much of just a, a growth, um, you know, learning experience and growing being 18 and, and having to, you know, be a full adult in that sense. I think um, so many friends of mine who went to college here in the States didn't have to think about shopping and budgeting yeah. and, and being economical with their groceries and how to use something up before it goes bad and stretching one thing into the next and all that. They didn't have to think about that until their mid twenties. Um, and probably even nearing late twenties or early thirties, I think people still struggle with it. Yeah. Um, so now I think back to how much I enjoyed having to do that at 18, even though it, it was a struggle for sure. Uh, so I learned via Skype with my dad and, um, you know, quick phone calls, international phone calls and, just learning basic technique and then realizing too how much I just had picked up from watching him. The idea of cleaning as you go and, you know, how to hold a knife properly and, and, you know, growing up, it always was the thing. And so this is what I always talk about too, is, you know, there aren't any cooking times. It's, you know, how long do you, do you cook this for until it's done was always the answer until it's done. So that's when it gets to be about using your senses, you know, how to know when something's done. Um, so that is just ingrained in me. And then I think too has just really inspired the way that I write my recipes and, and want to show people how to approach cooking. Mm -hmm. So tell, um, tell us a little bit about that. What does that look like for you now in terms of what you do and how you share what you know? Yeah. So I do, I, I call myself a culinary expert, food writer, um, online personality. It's hard to label yourself. Um, yeah. But I think so much of recipe writing, the kind of the traditional sense of recipe writing never gelled with me. I never felt like I was learning well from reading a recipe um, because I never felt like I was actively thinking about what I was doing. I feel like just following step-by-steps kind of removes you from the process and cooking from what I've always grown up around, you know, cooking and eating and picking up food. And, you know, it's, it's about deep connection with the process. So to say, you know, measure a tablespoon here and, you know, whatever it is, you know, just doing all that just felt like you were just doing it because someone else was telling you to do it. Um, and I always feel like I'm kind of giving up a little bit of power or control yeah. when I follow a recipe. Yeah. So a big evolution, and I have a background in writing. I went to journalism school. Um, I also have a degree in marketing. And so it's kind of pulling from all these backgrounds and past lives of mine, mm -hmm. and then taking everything that I was always surrounded by and applying that to cooking. Because I realized once I was able to cook the way and use writing then to explain the way that I have always learned to cook, it feels so empowering. And mm -hmm. so I want to be that, I, I want to feel empowered by empowering others. And I feel like in a way, traditional recipe writing 
has always not empowered people. You know, I feel like we've always sort of learned to approach the kitchen in the wrong way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, in, a, in a very difficult way, it's, it's sort of forging a new path in the sense of writing about recipes more intuitively and mm -hmm. bringing up what sense you'll, you'll be employing at a certain time, what to look for, what, to, what you'll be smelling, what, what something feels like so that you know you can go on to the next step because of what you're doing in front of you instead of just saying, you know, step five. Right, right. And this is so interesting and I didn't know we were going to hit this particular similarity between us in terms of our approaches. I mean, we're both teachers. You're a teacher of cooking. I'm a teacher of anatomy or yoga. And it's so cool to hear you describe things that way, the recipe versus really knowing what you're doing, because that's so much of, you know, when I teach teachers anatomy, I'm making the comparison between if you're cueing people because you really understand the anatomy, then how you share anatomy through the cues you use comes from a well, a, a deep knowledge that you have versus if you're just sharing anatomy because somebody told you, this is the cue, this is the cue, this is the cue, you're just kind of parroting what you heard. So I find it so interesting. Again, I knew that there would be a lot of similarities between mm -hmm. us and the approach, and that's something similar. So kind of piggybacking off that idea, um, to, you know, if someone is unfamiliar with cooking, how do you help them tap into what you're talking about, which kind of sounds like evolutionary cooking in a way. It's like, don't just be hung up and, and, and dependent on the recipe. I want you to tap into something else. What is that something else? Yeah, I think for me, it's, and this is so interesting too. And I feel like, you know, I, I don't know if this is pulling away from the con conversation or how to broaden this. I've tried to figure out how best to approach the idea of, of taking away a negative connotation about control when uh -huh. it comes to talking about food, because I, I feel like whenever you talk about being in control of what you're eating or control of food, it, it carries maybe, you know, the idea of disordered eating or, right. you know, something like that. But when, what I'm trying to change the conversation about is being in control of food and the food that you're preparing for yourself is the idea of being empowered by it. And so right. kind of, so an in, my internal mantra that I, you know, kind of like my, you know, quote unquote company's thesis that I always try to maintain are the three words, empower, encourage, respect. And it's empowering you to cook for yourself, your friends and your family, encourage you to learn new skills and then, respecting you to make the choices of what, when, and how you eat for yourself. Because I feel like too, so much in the food space is about talking about certain diets and, you know, certain elimination diets and all that. And so I never want to say that there's something you can and cannot eat. I want you to make those choices for yourself and have the confidence. So I think too, so much of it comes back to being present and being fully aware of what you're doing in the moment. So and, and that's for everything. That's about shopping for food, being aware of what you can get. You know, I never want to tell people that they have to get, you know, X best sort of thing. You get what you can get right. based on where you live, your budgets. You know, I don't think that there's any better than ingredient. Right. I want you to be able to use what you have access to in the best way that's going to serve you and nourish you. And 
being present throughout all the points of acquiring those ingredients and then being in your kitchen and preparing them and knowing that you're the one doing this for yourself and your loved ones, that you're, you're in that full control. That's where that word control comes in is that, you know, this, it's your car, you know, you're the driver, you're in the driver's seat. And I think so many people, recipes and cooking get scary because you, again, you think you need to follow what something else is telling you to do, but it's the reminder that you're doing this for yourself and you were always in the driver's seat. Right, right. Yeah, when I think of control and I think of empower, I mean, I think in a way empowerment or, or feeling empowered as a person, whether it's as, a, as preparing a meal or as teaching a yoga class, we can just use those two examples. Yeah. I think empowerment is in a way kind of the reframing of control. It's like yep. I have control over what I'm doing because I'm being intentional. Yep. And, you know, it sounds like, as you say, control has that kind of negative connotation when you say empower, it's kind of speaking to you as a powerful individual tapping into your authentic way of being, expressing yourself in a way that's meaningful to you. All of that is what I'm trying to do with the teachers I train. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's what you're supporting in people. It's like, don't feel like you need to follow this recipe and be constrained by it. I'm going to help you tap into what you probably already know and express it through what you're preparing. Well, and that's exactly it. And I, I love that you bring up the word intention because I think too, that's what it always is. I, so much of eating today and, you know, I, I think before lockdown, you know, the idea yeah. that we didn't necessarily need to cook was something that we all, you know, life, life is so now that you don't necessarily need to cook to eat. Right. But if you are setting that intention, you know, because you can order out or pick, you know, whatever it is. But we've all seen now how cooking is so ingrained in our lives. Um, and I think, too, just setting those intentions for yourself of approaching your kitchen with confidence and where, you know, we'll get into this, too, about intuitively and listening to, you know, in yoga, you have to listen to your senses and do what feels right and listen to common sense. I always talk about how we all have that sixth sense, like there's an additional sixth sense that we all forget about, which is common sense. It's listening to your gut. You know, I say you have to trust your gut to feed your gut. You know, there's that little voice inside of all of us that we sometimes I think forget to apply in the kitchen. So you have your senses and then you have this intuition that these instincts inside you that allow you to make adjustments and pivots and going towards you know, how, how to write something before a mistake is made. Or if you make that mistake, then you, then you have it filed away for next time. And that's what cooking is all about. It's, it's the idea of knowing that it's okay to mess up and that you will, but you're going to write it and you're not going to make it then in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, did you, when you were growing up and your father being a chef, um, where I guess what I'm wondering is where did your approach come from? Is it from your father or was your father very regimented in terms of his, because, you know, I'm a big culinary geek for many, many years. So I, you know, kind of consider myself sort of a foodie. So I watch foodie shows, you know, all these kinds of like different chefs. I have friends that are chef friends in the restaurant business. I know there's a wide range of how people approach cooking. Where do you think you got this kind of authentic way of, 
cooking? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I, I the, my, my father is the source of all my knowledge. That is for sure. Everything I know, I learned from him. Um, and then in professional settings, you know, I've learned from being on cookbook sets and, and working as, you know, learning from food stylists who I've worked with and for, but the, the basis of everything, my foundation definitely comes from everything that he's known just for being in the food industry for 40 plus years. He's a trained chef. Um, I definitely come from things from, you know, Eurocentric white lens. You know, I, yeah. I am of German, French, and Scottish heritage. I've, you know, I lived in, in Switzerland growing up. Um, and uh, my dad's foundation of what he knows is French trained. So definitely coming from the, you know, the French school of traditional yeah. cooking. Um, yeah. And so in that sense, that's where my technique definitely comes from. Yeah. Um, but I also definitely cite being a New Yorker, you know, apart from the three years of Switzerland as a kid and then living abroad a few times in college, I'm born and bred in Brooklyn and grateful for it, um, for being around so many different cultures, cuisines, seeing how influence happens across borders, across cultures, you know, really rooting a lot of food history in different cultures and, 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 and learning from a young age, just being in different neighborhoods, being able to go to different stores, tasting different cuisines and, and seeing how so much is interconnected and, and constantly influencing us. Mm -hmm. um, so always trying to remain present and aware of cultural uh, influences on on my cooking um, mm -hmm. but definitely it's rooted in traditional French uh, style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So tell me you had mentioned before this kind of central theme of tapping into into your intuition which is definitely a big theme in the yoga you know philosophy and yoga practice and even to a certain extent as a teacher you're kind of you know, being of service to other people. And at the same time, you're listening to your intuition about what would make sense at this moment for this group. So you're kind of reading the energy of the room. You're obviously not hearing from them. They're not talking, you're talking. And at the same time, you're having to kind of use your intuition to guide you as a teacher as to what would be most helpful. Um, how, how does this intuition work for you? And what do you hope for the people you work with you know, in terms of them being able to tap into it. Yeah, um, I, I hope and, and cite, I think, uh, you know, being able to tap into your intuition, being able to tap into emotional intelligence. And as you said, just being able to read a room. Mm -hmm. um, I think too, just having the inclination of being an entrepreneur. Um, and I was the president of the Entrepreneurship Society in college and, and always sort of looking at things as a problem solver, you know, how, how can I fix something or how can this situation be improved upon has mm -hmm. always just been the way that I look at life. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a type A Capricorn when it comes down to it as well. So, so yeah. I'm definitely always, you know, I, I think I probably have to work on a lot of, you know, sympathy and empathy sometimes because yeah. I come into a situation and go, okay, right. How, what, let, let's fix this. <laughs> like what right. needs to be done? Um, and I think too, that just comes from an intuitive sense of 
when it comes to cooking and approaching kitchens and wanting someone to feel confident in their kitchen is how can I best illustrate this? You know, as a writer as well, I'm always thinking, okay, let's show, don't tell, show, don't tell. You know, how can I show through my actions on video or even when I'm writing, that's about showing through the senses of how can I put myself in someone, someone else's position who might be uh-huh. new to this uh-huh. and, and being able to show them what they're going to be expecting. I think is probably the best way that I can think of it. Um, okay, so, so you mean yeah. like the person you might be working with to show them what you're going to cook or what they're going to cook. Exactly, I think every time I approach writing, you know, even a caption on an Instagram post or when I'm thinking about a video that I, I wanna shoot, I, I think I'm trying my best to put myself in the position of someone who might be coming at cooking themselves a frittata, you know, whatever it is for the first yeah. time and, and showing them, this is what you're gonna see. This is what you're gonna smell. This is the feeling that it's gonna have when you gently prod it with your finger. Um, right. So, and, and eventually then too, what I hope to show is that, again, without throwing away feeling present, just the idea that eventually it's going to become more second nature, you know, and and I think too, something like a knife skill, you know, at the beginning, you might have to think about how you're going to hold it, but then it becomes completely second nature. And the way that you pick up your knife to begin slicing something is going to feel like an extension of your own arm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think too, it's figuring out how to, how to best show that it might feel funny and tricky at the beginning and you might have to think a little bit harder about it, but then it's going to become natural and it's going to be, become that intuition. It's just going to be ingrained in you. Right, right, right. It, it makes me think about um, one of my business mentors talks about future pacing. So when you are starting a program, letting your students with your students, letting them know this is where you're going to end up. Like you're mm-hmm. at play now, this is where we're going to end up. And it sounds like what you're talking about is by showing them the finished product, this is where you're going to end up to give them a sense of here's where I want you to get, you know, here's like beginning with the end in mind, the Stephen Covey kind of, here's mm-hmm. the end of where we'll end up. And now I'm going to show you how to get there. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know? Yeah. And the other thing that I really picked up on you saying is this idea of putting yourself in their shoes. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, I think too, just, I, I, I'm realizing it now, maybe for the first time that that's how I'm approaching it as well on a day-to-day basis is remembering what it was like to learn how to cook. Um, yeah. you know, remembering what it was like to be that real fish out of water in my student kitchen when I was 18 and everything felt overwhelming. Um, And I think too, then it is, it's thinking back to those conversations I had with my dad and I think cooking and, and cooking for yourself and then looking at it from an intuitive perspective is about just asking those questions and, and realizing too, I think there's a fear Sorry, I'm going off a little bit, but I really feel like there is a fear that stops people from cooking because they think they're going to mess up. Right. And it also, because I know that I definitely had that. And so I think too, there has to be a little bit of a release. So I feel like I'm also 
putting myself in the shoes of people to remind them like, oh, hey, don't worry, I've been here before. Like I have definitely felt the fear of messing up. Uh, you know, there's that fear of, I don't want to mess it up because then I don't have something to eat. So I'm also trying, I always try to be aware of the fact that it, no mistake will ever be as bad as we think it is. You know, I, I sometimes joke, I'm like, you know, what is the worst that can happen? Yes, you could burn your house down, but let's pull back. It's not going to happen. Right. You're not actually going to forget about something burning so much. And also it's because of our senses that we won't. Because even if you're on a different floor of your house, you'll smell something and you will fly back down to your kitchen and i've been there multiple times you know i forget that i'm cooking something and then i smell it and i'm like oh you know down to the kitchen let me see if i can salvage this so i think it's also just reminding yourself that a it's okay to mess up it's not going to be that bad even if something doesn't turn out the way you originally thought it was that's the beauty of kitchen improv and being able to pivot and go okay you know it didn't turn out the way i wanted it to but i can still eat it it's going to still nourish me and bring some form of enjoyment and yeah just just constantly reminding like you know we we've all started we've all started somewhere where we didn't know something and right. it takes that practice and it takes the learning from those mistakes it's almost like you ha- you know you have to mess up you have to nick your finger every once in a while because then you know next time not to have your finger in that place where you nicked it you know like so right. yeah it's just it's a it's a reminder of we've all been there Yeah. It's interesting too, because again, there are just so many parallels in my listening to you and the conversations I have with teachers. And, you know, just one thing that you said about, you know, giving yourself the space to mess up. You know, I talk to teachers who take their fundamental training, their 200 hour teacher training, which is the first step uh, in any yoga teacher's process. Um, And it's been like three years and they've been so terrified waiting to be quote unquote ready that they're not teaching. And so when they connect with me for my, for my programs, you know, they are kind of paralyzed with this fear. And so when you say, what is the worst that can happen? That is kind of an interesting way to frame it for people to help them kind of dispel the fear and the power it has over them. No, Mm, completely. I think that's exactly it. And, um, you know, what I'm always reminded by for myself and especially, you know, pivoting constantly and building my own business, it's the reminder that you are never ready. You know, there is there is no getting to a point of ready before right. you can start something. You have to start something. Right. Because the amount of iterations that you make every single moment is getting you to a point of where you will be going. You know, there there right. is no there is no real destination <laughs> actually. Um, yeah. and I'm I'm reminded by, you know, I went to a, a, one of, I went to a lot of colleges, but one of the colleges I went to was a very small hippie school in Costa Rica. And it, it, the, basically our motto was it's the journey, not the destination. And I think that is so much of it is, you yeah. know, there's no destination of, and especially for home cooks, you know, again, like I'm not a restaurant chef. I know plenty of people in the industry. I know, you know, I've grown up around it. Um, I have all the respect, but I know that that isn't, that's not where I would be happy. So again, too, it's reframing it, you know, for a home cook, for someone in their own home cooking for themselves and their loved ones, there's no destination. There's no Michelin star. There's no, you don't have to worry about accolades. (laughs) You just have to worry about putting 
nourishing food on your table and do, you know, eating for yourself and eating something that makes you happy and finding comfort in mm -hmm. food. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing too, that's so, you know, beautiful about what you're saying is even though, you know, certainly your dad has had a somewhat traditional path, you're kind of creating your own way. And, you know, I know in my world, in the yoga world, there's kind of a traditional path. You do mm -hmm. this training, you do this training, you teach in studios, and maybe you do like annual retreats. And then when I work with teachers individually, and they don't really feel like that path is what they want to do, mm -hmm. sometimes they'll feel pressure to follow that path, even though it seems like a mismatch. So a lot of what I do with them and the work that we do together is to kind of undo some of those ties that they've kind of wrapped around themselves to help them think about, well, how do you really want to express your love of yoga teaching? What do you see that looking like? Do you find that you do that with people you work with? Oh, yeah. And I, I feel like I find myself doing that. You know, like for everything that you just said, I've been nodding along so hard. And I think <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, this is me. You know, like I, I think on some level we can all yeah. feel that way. And I, I think, too, you know, at the point that we're having this conversation, too, there's so much shakeup in, yeah. you know, I'm looking at so much from the food industry. Um, and I'm sure things are happening in the yoga world right now too. And sure. uh, just being aware of the fact that for better or for worse, the traditional path is not the only path and isn't necessarily the best path. Right. And I have always struggled about, you know, do I have to quote unquote play the game? And, you know, d this doesn't feel right for me. And people say, you know, the amount of times I've had people be like, oh, you know, maybe you should go after like a job at like a top food magazine. And like right. eh, that, ne that never, again, that's listening to your intuition. That always felt a little eh to me. Right. And I'm okay with that because they're currently kind of burning down. So, so right. it's, it's, it's also a reminder that the traditional path is certainly not the only path and shouldn't be the only path. I think right. definitely right now we're seeing that. Yeah, that's very true. It's, and you wouldn't ultimately be happy there anyway. And, no. you know, I think that that's, you know, one of the hallmarks of, you know, you're in the right spot in the yoga vernacular. We say, you've, you know, you've found your dharma, your, your mm -hmm. purpose, you know, you're expressing your true purpose uh, mm -hmm. through what you're doing. And, um, you know, you could even use the word alignment, you know, alignment certainly refers to the literal poses, right? Being in alignment, you know, kind of energetically being in alignment, occupationally being in alignment. So yeah, no, I can, I can definitely relate to that myself. Yeah, that's a beautiful reminder. I think too, something that a friend of mine told me, so I, you know, and that feels exactly like it's that, you know, is everything in alignment and is it bringing you joy to do it? Right. Um, and so a great reminder that a friend of mine said is, you know, with any opportunity that comes up, is it a hell yes? You have to ask yourself that because if it's not a hell yes, then ultimately it is a no. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you had mentioned, um, the writing that you do, the videos that you do, um, you've got your Instagram platform and I'm just curious to talk a little bit about your personal brand. I mean, yoga teachers are personal brands, even if they're affiliated with other yoga teachers who are big names and maybe they're, you know, kind of affiliated with that person. Um, you know, ultimately they are their own brand. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And so I think that's always interesting because it's really up to you to kind of decide how you want to do things. Um, and that kind of holds from a business side of things, right? The entrepreneurial aspect, what you're doing, and then also how you're showing up. Um, and certainly we've seen, you know, a lot of people show up in not great ways for a number of different reasons and the problems to their brand that they then have because they're not showing up, you know, in an authentic way. Um, even outside of that, just the idea of kind of finding what your personal brand is. So like if you were to describe it, how would you describe kind of your, like your motto or your mission? Maybe it's a little bit of a reiteration of what you said in the beginning. Yeah, I'm definitely, as I said, my, well, A, again, too, you know, there's no being ready before you launch a personal brand because the amount of evolution I've gone through, um, even with the name change and just refining the message um, is going to be constant. So don't wait to, don't wait to feel ready because you're going to be changing. Um, so what I would always say though, what has not changed is my three guiding words of empower, encourage, respect. Mm -hmm. um, and then being able, so those three are it, those are like ingrained in me. Um, yeah. And then definitely just, you know, constant iteration about what kind of language to use. Um, I've definitely pivoted from experimenting with the idea of common sense cooking, obviously intuition, intuitive is becoming kind of a buzzword. Um, intuitive eating has really kicked off. Um, I've definitely always tried to speak about intuitive cooking as sort of the quote unquote label of what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think definitely, And th but then it's so interesting and I think too, I think back to the fact that when I first started, I was under the the handle a cheesemonger's daughter because right. I am I am one. Um, yeah. So you know, my family owns a cheese store. My dad has been in the cheese business and specialty food business his whole career. Um, and I realized, even though that made so much sense to me because that's what I am and who I am, um, it actually started becoming too much to drag around um, and too much of a story to have to tell and too much of an introduction to make and then being pigeonholed too much. You know, I, I, I do love cheese. I'm fascinated by cheese. I'm fascinated by the stories of cheese makers around the world. And, and, I, and I think so many makers um, and, and farmers and growers and producers of all types of food their stories need to be told, but I was getting so pigeonholed. Um, and then I realized too, just with the evolution of, of wanting to talk about more and realizing too, and so much has happened recently, but I, I hope I was doing it, starting to plant seeds beforehand too, of, you know, Claire Matern is who I want people to get to know and get to trust and is who is going to be talking about the way that I'm approaching cooking. And Claire Matern also has background in fashion and in living in different countries and has interests in other books and is influenced by other cultures. And Claire Matern wants to root everything in more meaning. Um, and so that was such a huge thing for me to come out. And I realized too, in that sense too, I was definitely hiding behind the name of a cheesemonger's daughter and yeah. 
even just growing in confidence of wanting to be more on camera and wanting to become that quote unquote trusted friend in the kitchen, which is definitely the vibe I always want to give off of, of mm -hmm. openness. You know, again, I grew up in kitchens, um, professionally commercial kitchens at home kitchens. And it is true that, you know, the kitchen is where we congregate and the right. kitchen is where we gather and learn from each other. So I always wanted to feel like I am opening my kitchen to conversation and opening my kitchen to learning and um, giving other people voices as well. So yeah, the name change was definitely one. And then, cause then I think it allowed me to be able to do more and dive deeper into the food conversation. Mm -hmm. I was funny when you mentioned, I, when I initially found you on Instagram, you had the cheesemonger's daughter. Yeah. And when you were just talking about that, and talking about your love of cheese, it reminds me of um, one of my favorite parts unknown episodes is Jacques Pepin and Tony, uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain, when they go to France and they eat cheese for like so much cheese. Yep. Or no, yeah, they are in France because they're skiing and they're doing, um, and they're eating so much cheese over like the course of taping that one particular episode. It, it's like all about cheese, fondue and everything. Yeah. I know I, I'm very grateful to have had eating days like that and trips like yeah. that. Um, it's yeah. it is wild and and yeah, and they're amazing stories to tell. And oh yeah, yeah. more ways that I ever knew was possible <laughs> to eat cheese actually. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so so this is kind of interesting too because you know I know a lot of what you know when I work with teachers there's kind of the what you need to know work that I do with them. And then there's also the way of being work that I do with them. And the way of being work usually comes up around topics like, I don't feel confident standing in front of the class. I don't feel like I'm like comfortable using these words. I feel like my voice is too, you know, there's just all these ways of being that are the outward illustration of something that's underneath it. and. It was interesting to me when you were talking about the name change and it seemed to me in the way you were describing it that you kind of felt like there was an identity shift that needed to happen mm -hmm. so that you could be more empowered in your own way is that 100 percent, 100 percent. and i think too it's it's such a journey you know it's such a personal thing and i'm always having to remind myself not to play the comparison game or feel rushed again, you know, as I said earlier, I am a type A Capricorn. All I want to do is put the cart before the horse and I want to run before I can crawl. Um, and so it's a constant reminder that again, it's all about that journey. And when I, I changed the, I changed over the name a year ago, January. So it's, I've been Claire Matern outwardly for a year and a half now. Yeah. And I know, and you know, a year ago, I thought, oh, God, why didn't I do this a year ago? Or, you know, but, but it's always the reminder of you can't do something before you're ready to do it. Yeah. And before so really you do it. Yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. I mean, I can totally, totally relate to that just in the metamorphosis of my signature program. I just recorded the intro video today and I just like spoke off the cuff about so many things that I wanted to share with the teachers. And I could have never talked about those things a year ago because the program wasn't, was, wasn't where it is today. And exactly. it's like, you know, wow, why couldn't I do that a year ago? Well, cause you didn't know what you, 
Um, I want to talk a little bit more about this, though. This is just so interesting to me because, again, in making the parallels to my world, a lot of times, you know, again, when people go through my programs, they'll have these identity issues like, oh, I'm having a hard time getting through the course because I'm not good at time management. Um, I'm having a hard time remembering things because I've never been good at remembering things, you know, remembering the muscles or whatever. And so there are these kind of like rigid um, ways that we think of ourselves from an identity perspective. And it, it, it kind of illustrates itself in the way, and again, the ways of being, the ways of being when they're going through the course, the ways of being when they're teaching. And when you talked about Claire Matern, which is you, yeah. and then Cheesemonger's daughter, which is daughter, right? Your father's daughter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't even imagine that is identity at its core, right? Exactly. You're the person, and I'm a, I'm a daughter of a father who, you know, I have a very strong relationship with him. And like, to this day, I have memories of feeling like I'm not good at math because he would scold me doing my math homework. Why aren't you getting this? Not in a mean way, but just, you know, he was feeling frustrated that I wasn't getting it. And to this day, I feel like, you know, and I work to kind of let that go, let that go. I can be good at math and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So that's just so interesting. So how did you, you know, when you came to a point in the development of your business, when you were like, I got to rebrand, I got to rebrand to me, right? Mm -hmm. Versus me as the daughter and the niche of cheese and specialty foods. What, like, I, I almost feel like, it just takes courage to do that, to kind of say to your dad, hey, you know what? I know my whole business is kind of predicated on this idea that I'm your daughter. <laughs> I'm yep. going to actually do it as me now. Is that okay? You, Yeah, you basically, it's like, <laughs> were you in our house a year ago? <laughs> like, no, I mean, uh, but I can, I can certainly say I still have a very regular contact, you know, relationship with my parents. And somebody might say, oh my God, why are you still, well, that's just kind of the dynamic of our relationship. So I can relate to that. And maybe the feeling that you might've had of, I wonder if he's going to be upset that I'm rebranding and kind of breaking away from this identity that I essentially grew up with. Oh, 100%. And what is good. And I feel like, you know, if it was a consolation or whatever it was, is that I feel so, and, th and this is maybe more business headed, not that I'm always business headed, but I try to be is I've trademarked it. I've LLC. It is my company. I own it. And that feels very good to me. Um, you know, the ownership over that name because it is still what I am and who I am, but yeah. Oh, that was, it was definitely, um, yeah. you know, full of, you know, conversations of, okay, you know, you're going to see the name change. I don't want you to think that, it's a stripping of this, you know, actually I've gained more ownership over it, but to talk about everything else that I want to be able to talk about, it doesn't make sense. Right. Not right. coming from a name, you know, an, a, a, my name. Right. And I think, you know, the, the teachers listening to this, you know, just to kind of, again, I keep trying to make the parallels because mm -hmm they are continuing to come up for me and I want to make them for the listeners. You know, this comes up in the yoga world a lot. And I think I shared this in the email where teachers might feel compelled to teach in a certain way, but also feel the pressure to teach in a different way to quote unquote, be popular. So it's like, well, what if you're compelled to teach people that have mental health issues, you're going to potentially maybe teach a lot of restorative yoga. Well, that means you might not feel like you 
resonate teaching active classes. And if you look at a yoga schedule, there's a heck of a lot more of those than restorative classes. So it's like, what if that's the way of being you want to be? What if that's the identity you most connect with? You need to kind of say, here's my line in the sand. This is, this is what, this is my Dharma to teach in this way. This is what speaks to me and how I can best be of service to others. That's exactly it. And I think too, I mean, that is exactly it. And it's something that I'm continuing to struggle with. And I think too, especially in the current climate of, you know, how much, how much I can bring in the larger conversation about inclusivity and, and racism, let's just say it in all of our industries and in, in our country and in our world. And I think too, it's, it's the idea exactly about that of, and it's, I kind of have just lost my train of thought, but it's like, oh my goodness, like it's exactly about just taking that leap of bravery and knowing that it is your role. Oh, and, and, and I think too, it's exactly, it's how you feel empowered as a teacher. So I was, and it's about what gives you back that energy instead of sucking away. So again, too, I've made such a pivot or, you know, allowing to open up for more because I was not feeling fulfilled just talking about recipe tips and you know as much as i love being able to help someone roast a chicken for the first time i realized too so much of that was actually coming from like an ego base of i get to answer these questions and i get to help but then giving off all of that help i wasn't feeling fulfilled back um so i think too there's so much learning and shifting as someone who is teaching and showing and helping empower other people is how, how to feel empowered while doing it. And I'm going through a massive shift with that right now. Right. Yeah. I think energetically, there's nothing that's more telling to a teacher of any subject than when you feel drained and not invigorated when you're done. And um, I mean, I've certainly had studios I've worked at, classes I've taught, you know, maybe I have a regular class on the schedule and for a number of reasons, it's just not doing well. And you feel that kind of sense of, you know, just, just obstacle when you're doing it. And, and it does require you kind of decide, is this something that I want to keep? Are there things that I can work on? Is it something out of my control? Um, do I need to walk away from this? And even though I'll lose the money, I'll open up the possibility for something else exactly exactly wouldn't have that if i continue to just you know push on push on so tell um i'm kind of curious just in hearing you talk about different things give me an idea of of kind of what your schedule looks like like what kinds of like literal things are you doing yeah so um writing as much as possible um cooking you know cooking and writing I think are, you know, kind of the, the base of a day. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's been a funny few months. Um, I've been helping and, and, you know, helping out at the family shop much more than normal. Um, so just being out and about and actually connected more with this shop that's been like a sibling to me, you know, kind of an annoying sibling um, my whole life. Um, so being able to learn 
you know, again, broadening my food knowledge in that sense there has been a, a big, a more day-to-day thing recently. But otherwise, it's it's writing, it's cooking, it's um, constantly, you know, again, writing recipes and shifting. And, and I think, too, it, what this conversation has really brought up for me is that trying to, um, I think I try to spend as much time in my head in other people's shoes as much as I can. So that's even on a day-to-day basis, that's what I'm often doing um, when I'm thinking about what content, you know, what, what can I do in the next coming weeks? What, what will people want to see? Um, you know, having, having Zoom meetings now, you know, it used to be commuting into the city and, and having meetings, but yeah, it's all very, everything's shifted obviously in, in the last few months, but definitely writing, cooking, um, and talking <laughs> are, are, definitely, are like my main three things. Yeah. Now the writing you're doing, are you doing it for a blog that you have articles that you're giving to other people, um, for your own kind of social media content? Where does that end up? Yeah, a lot. I mean, most of it is on on social media, Instagram, um, and then it's either um, writing for brand partnerships, you know, collaborative um, projects with certain ingredients or food companies. Yeah. Um, doing uh, currently also, and I think too, it's so interesting just with the shifting that's going on right now. And um, so I've been working really heavily on a cookbook proposal. I think now it's going to shift a lot. So there'll be a lot new writing that's Mm -hmm. happening and and mulling around. Um, So yeah, if it's not for my personal social media or for brand partnerships, it's been geared around hopefully a future book right now. Cool. Now I think, you know, your, your food centric world, my yoga centric world, we both are on Instagram, Facebook and that kind of thing. Tell me, and this will be helpful for teachers to hear too, um, you know, kind of how do you approach what you're putting on Instagram? Is Instagram your main place and what are you kind of sharing there? Yeah. So Instagram's definitely my main place. Um, and again, too, it, that's why I, I can only suggest anyone who maybe hasn't thought about starting one or, you know, again, too, like figuring out exactly what your, what your content calendar, whatever, you know, whatever it is on Instagram, I get, throw that away. Like, especially right now, throw that away. And I, I, again, too, am really just trying to listen to my instinct as much as possible. Um, Mm -hmm. Currently with what I'm posting, Um, I'm trying to be more of a resource more than ever before about what's currently happening in our country um and again too just what's being so interesting right now is how to be a resource without added commentary i'm really trying to be present to the fact that my voice again as a you know western european heritage eurocentric white cis woman is not necessarily needed right now um so if i can just share um share resources and, and, and not add commentary. And right. that's, that's my biggest goal. So I think too, it's, it's listening to what feels right in your gut, posting yeah. what, again, too, posting what's in alignment, you yeah. know, really knowing what your internal thesis is and posting what's in alignment. 
Yeah, it's funny, you know, with all the protests going on and, and all the deep, deep self-examining that hopefully a lot of people are doing and, and hopefully the things that will come out of it that are concrete changes in um, police tactics and things like that. Um, I never knew the word performative before as it relates to a social media post until like maybe a week ago. Mm -hmm. And um, now that I have a term for it, I kind of can recognize it a little bit more when I see it um, or maybe my interpretation of it, of what the person's doing. Even outside of this current, um, this current situation that we're experiencing, that idea of performative posting, I mean, I can certainly say in the yoga world, I think has existed for a long time. And I know a lot of teachers feel pressure to teach in a certain way because they've been influenced by social media posts from yoga teachers who are doing certain poses that are really hard or dressing in a certain way, um, or maybe have a very big following on social media. And I, I, I know in conversations I've had with teachers, they feel the pressure that comes from their interpretation of that. Mm -hmm. Does that happen at all in, like, in your world? And how do you manage that? Yes. <laughs> Simple answer, yes. And we are seeing that so much right now. Um, what I hope, and you know, it is a constant on my brain right now, but I realized too, um, just I think throughout my quote unquote entire career and you know, being on social media, I know that I've not jumped on bandwagons that could have risen, you know, gotten me Oh, oh yeah, I know what so I think too, again, I've always not wanted to do something if it feels icky. And I think too, that that's again about that idea of trusting your gut and going back to in intuition and instinct. Like yeah. I've not participated in food trends and maybe it's because I've grown up in, you know, kind of staunchly traditional food, you know, quote unquote traditional, again, coming from French training and you know, whatever it is, I'm not jumped on trendy bandwagons that we see in the food industry. Um, and it's been hard, you know, I've definitely heard people from all angles saying, you know, just do this post, you know, you, you never, you'll get like so many followers if you just do this, or, you know, you should just work with that company, you know, and if it doesn't feel right, I can't do, you know, I can't do it. And yeah. then especially now too, yeah, we're seeing so many performative posts from people who, you know, someone who's maybe never said anything about, or, you know, even had problems in the past about cultural appropriation when it comes to recipe writing. And right. I can only imagine, of course, that is also something that needs to be examined in the yoga world is, you know, the idea of cultural appropriation when it comes to things that we are constantly doing in our everyday lives. And I hope that I've I hope it doesn't seem, and it's something that I'm obviously carrying with me of self-awareness is what I'm doing, I hope is not coming off that way because of what I am just because of past work and past self-awareness. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, just being present in self-awareness, I think is so something. Um, yeah. 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 I can, I can relate to that. I feel like you have to you know, when you talked about empowered in the beginning, you have to kind of be empowered enough to stay in your own lane, even when people come to you and say, 
hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, because it will get you blah, blah, blah. Like you said, if you don't feel that that's in alignment, you have to kind of stand your ground in order to continue to be in alignment and not just go for the easy path. Well, that's exactly, that's it. I think it, and it's so interesting that you bring up the phrase stay in your lane, because then the flip side of it is that I and other people in the food space are getting yelled at by other, you know, some followers, you know, I've lost a lot of followers this week because I am not quote unquote staying in my lane. And so again, but then it's because I feel like, and that's why I think too, with, with name change and, you know, owning what your um, platform is. And, you know, when, when teachers are thinking about what the platform is they want to build is a friend of mine put it so well, who's also in the food space and you know, getting all these negative messages is I'm the one who built this lane and I can widen it and take it in any direction I want. Right. And I think that is so right. Again, too, it's, it's how do you stay quote unquote in the lane of alignment and something that feels right to you, but then how do you have that confidence then to widen it and bring it in a different direction when needed and when it feels right, right for you? Right. Well, and I think too, when, when people connect with someone who has an area of expertise, me, yoga, you, cooking, I think that they sometimes have a certain perception about who that person is. Mm -hmm. So when, when the lane widens and, and the person starts to share their personality, their personal beliefs, what they stand for as a human, sometimes that can create some dissonance with someone who might have only looked at them in a very narrow way. Like, oh, you're, I come to you for this. I don't come to you for that. Exactly. You know, the world we're living in right now, the that is at the human level. And, um, and so, and obviously because all of what we're talking about right now, there are uncomfortable topics and they, I mean, talk about identity. They get to people's identity. So there's a lot of defensiveness that comes up. Um, you know, even outside of those themes, even the themes of, you know, it, it, again, I can't 100% relate to the topics specifically in the cooking world. Just the idea, though, of if you want to go into a certain niche and people want to pressure you to post things that are going to pull into different things, like you said, like cooking fads, and you're kind of putting your foot down and saying, that's not really what I'm about. I don't care that I could get an extra thousand followers if I post about, I don't know, whatever Kim Kardashian's doing, or I don't know, I'm mm -hmm. pulling out a crazy example. Um, it just doesn't, that's not the way I want to grow my brand. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's dedicating to yourself that you're taking the long path. You know, it's, it's, yes, exactly. It's, you're a player of the long game. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. That is very, that is very true. And social media, I think, is a place where the short game people get a lot of exposure. And yeah. so I think that does create a perception that short game is the game, when in fact, you know, long game is really the reality that most people live through. And I think it's more sustainable. Completely. You know? I think I think the idea of building a strong foundation is much more important than anything else. Yeah. So, yeah. And because it's more sustainable. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
So I want to ask you one more question on the business side of things. And again, we can kind of, as listeners, make parallels to the yoga world here. Um, tell me a little bit about when you talk about, you know, you have connections with brands, so you're writing for them. Um, you know, you have like your personal brand and you've, you know, trademarked that. What, um, I guess I'm just kind of wondering if there are, are certain, I mean, I think tips is such an overused term, but any themes that you have as you approach your business that are overarching themes from a, you know, specific steps you can take point of view? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely the, the most kind of practical step, and especially when it comes to the personal brand, um, it, it's sort of silly, but you know, get, get your name, you get, get that domain locked down. Um, I feel very grateful in a sense that Matern is kind of an unusual last name. I don't think there, I mean, we, there aren't many Materns out there and the only other Claire Matern I know is in South Africa and we've connected because we're the only two Claire Materns that we know of in the world. Um, so being able to get your name, um, as a domain, as any handle on any social media that you are going to start using is, you know, definitely square one. You want to be able to have the, the title that you, that you are, you know, you want to, you want to have your name out there. Um, right. or, you know, obviously something as, as close as possible if, 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 if it's been taken already, which is often the case. Um, so definitely just on that practical note, and then depending on what you see for yourself and, and building a personal brand, if it is something kind of a, a unique name, then I would say look into what, you know, your state's um, process is for becoming um, either a sole proprietor or an, or an LLC or, if you see yourself building more, um, if you can be an S corp, or if you want to look into what B corps are, which are, you know, uh, more quote unquote sustainable, or, you know, more, um, they're bringing in the idea of more ownership towards employees or whatever it is, you know, how you want to build that business and what your business, what your internal again like that internal thesis of like the kind of business that you want to build um so looking into that and registering um and trademarking if it's a unusual name and uh yeah that's definitely all kind of like those like backbone infrastructure kind of things um deciding too if you are gonna have you know you know building out a website my god like i'm so not a tech person um and so i've i've changed platforms because i also never on a personal level i never connected with the idea of being a food blogger um so but again too always felt like oh god that's the traditional route i should be taking and i should own i should say i'm a food blogger and i should do wordpress because that's what all food bloggers do and Right. I I switched over from that within the you know within this last year and I'm on Wix now because I thought you know actually I'm not a food blogger and I have a lot of food blogger friends and they're killing it and they're doing things that I do not understand and it's just like not the world I'm in right. um, so choosing what platform is right for you and the website that you want and if you do yeah it's it's a lot but um, just building kind of those like infrastructure foundations yep, yep. 
Yep. And how did, I'm assuming you landed on Instagram as your main portal in the social media world because everything you do is visual. Yeah, that definitely became, it, you know, slowly but surely that definitely started to emerge as like, it's where the largest audience I have is. And it's so hard trying to get people to go from one platform to the next. So then when I was hearing grumbles from like, you know, you should start a YouTube channel. And so I technically have one because I listened to people, um, but it never felt right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's finding again, in the internet world, it's finding what platform feels best for you. Um, and, and using that as a tool, it's such a reminder too, is, you know, not to be overtaken by social media and just doing things for social media, but it's how can you harness it as a tool for what you want to do? Um, so choosing what's, what that best platform is for you. So for me, it is Instagram. Got it. And in terms of that idea of harnessing, one one last question: yeah. When you do um, either Instagram lives or Instagram posts, do you have um, a sense of like what you ideally want the viewer to do? Like something that you want to offer them, or something action-wise that you want them to take, sign up for something, do something. Um, if that's the case, is that with every post or are some things more informative? What, what's... Yeah, I mean, definitely having a call to action is something that I should do more often. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely um, a reminder. And I, I have friends who are in marketing and they're always like, what a CTA, do something. I'm like, oh, God, oh. yeah. <laughs> so I think, too, there's always room for improvement and you're just yeah. going to have to continue doing. And then, yeah, you know. And at the same time, a lot of what you do, I imagine, because I see it, is let me show you this end product and let me share with you how I got there. Yeah, I think for me, it's definitely more about informative posts. Yeah. Um, and then it is interesting, you know, just try, again, going back to that idea of, you know, how to feel empowered as a teacher and not feel drained is how best can I actually figure out how to still inform, but maybe not informed to the point where I'm feeling drained. So that's definitely all a learning curve. Right, right. How much sharing yeah. am I going to do? Awesome. So why don't we reiterate for folks, and I'll put it in the show notes, how they find you on Instagram, your handle, how do you spell it? Yeah, so I'm just at Claire Matern, and Claire is all six letters, C-L-A-I-R-E, and Matern, I always say it's like maternal or maternity, um, M-A-T-E-R-N. Okay. Great, great. And that's the best, I, I mean, I know that's the best place for them to connect with you, follow you on Instagram is a great way to get ongoing. Definitely. Ongoing. Yeah. Follow me on Instagram and then clarematurn.com is my website. Um, but Instagram is where you'll find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this. I learned so much from, oh, from talking you. to you. So I really appreciate it. And I know the listeners will appreciate it as well. This was such a wonderful, I think, needed conversation. It feels, it was a very restorative conversation. Thank you for having me. And sure. Thank you for letting me talk about myself for an hour. <laughs> I love to learn from people and I'm just inquisitive by nature. So I found it interesting to ask you questions to find out more about you. So I'm glad it felt like a nice energetic exchange. <laughs> it was, thank you so, so much. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, have a good rest of your day and I'll talk to you very soon. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations 
for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.